Hello and welcome to Core Games, a podcast for the Legend of the Five Rings community funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I am Korval. I'm Kikita Kaori. And what do we have this week? This week we have the fourth chapter of Heroes of Legend, which is the other fiction series leading up to the, uh, the this final big blowout of the LCG fictions. And Great. yeah, it's a big doozy. But we have some news, I believe. Fields of Victory and Roar of the Lioness for the RPG are now shipping. A few people have them. We'll have reviews mm-hmm. for you soon. The latest I've heard is that it will be Tuesday in game stores in the US. So... Probably like little shipping differences happen. Yeah, yeah. You know, looks like an interesting set of abilities, and I look forward to talking about it. But what we may have to uh, delay our review of it if we keep having new chapters of well, yeah, this stuff. yeah. It's going to be tough to do both. Uh, like <laughs> but this week we have Heroes of Legend, Chapter Four by Josiah Duke Harris. Uh, now, this starts out on the 18th day of the month of Hida. Uh, that's kind of December, 1123. The unicorn, crane, lion, phoenix, and scorpion armies ride from Toshirambo to Odosanuchi. They leave Toshirambo that day. Uh, on the 5th of Tagashi, 5th of January, they meet up with the dragon army of the rising wave. This is led by Miramoto Hotomi. Uh, outside Otisanuchi, she tells them of Hidekasada's fall and Akuma no Oni's rampage, which is all happening in the Battle of Cherry Blossom Snow. Her army is besieging Otisanuchi, wary of the magical walls that defend it. They lay siege, um, and by the 12th of Tagashi, so that's the 12th of January, the Imperial Legions, who are led by Ikuma Ujiaki, they sally forth, they come out. And battle is joined. In the kind of chaos, Altan Sinai is not from a horse, but she's saved by Doji Kuanan. Just at that moment, there's a dark mass pouring from the side of one of the walls of Otosanuchi. And inside it, undead forms rise from the ground and start attacking people. Altan Sinai sees Matsutsuke fight a massive Oni, but just that moment, she spots. The sun and glinting of Ujiaki's war fan. That's a, a thing that comes up a lot. She charges towards him while Kuanan sacrifices himself to save Tsuko, repaying his life debt to her. As Altan Sinai approaches Ujiaki, the form of deceased lion champion, Akodo Araso, suddenly appears, calling on the lion forces in the Imperial Legion to fight against Shouju. As Ujiaki points his war fan at Altan Sinai, presumably to order her death, she cuts his arm off. As the fan falls, the undead all vanish. Altan Sinai gives Ujiaki the chance for an honourable death. Uh, he claims it's not his fault. He was deceived. He was mind-controlled. It's not his fault. And in the end, he tries to attack her. She kills him and lets the snow bury him. That's a fairly short summary, but... <laughs> a lot happens in it. Um, yes. So we'll talk about everything that's going on. Uh, but... 
As we do, we talk about things in random order in our lore nuggets. So let's see. One thing that uh, Alton Sarnai notes is that the unicorn use heavy wool horse blankets on their horses, but the lion in general don't. And so Alton Sarnai thinks the lion horses look cold. This actually has some implications. It means, among other things, that the unicorn raise sheep or goats, which we sort of knew. Or trade, maybe. Or trade yeah. for it. Yeah. So we kind of knew that, but but it's something you, you see here and you see how it's used here. So Yeah. And it also mean I mean, basically one of the things is that the unicorn are very, very far north. And so mm-hmm. they're gonna deal with colder weather no matter the the no matter what they do. But also Rockyan generally they don't tend to go to war during the winter. So the lion from their point of view, why would you why would you have cold weather gear for horses? When it's cold, you stay home. But the unicorn's like, well, sometimes when we stay home, it's still cold. So yeah, it's an interesting cultural <laughs> detail. Altan Sinai also mentions a, a rather nice story of an Ujik sage out in the mountains that she met, who claims to be the wealthiest person in the world. For he sees he says the birds are his servants and Lady Sun bathes the mountains in gold every day, which is a, a rather sweet story. It's, I, I don't think it's a, an actual I've, – I've never heard it before. I don't I – don't. It's a unique story. It's not it, – it's certainly not a uh, like a Mongolian story that I know of. And it has a very unique twist at the end. Um, <laughs> but it is very much like the stories like You Can't Steal the Moon, which is a traditional Taoist story. So it's certainly appropriate in setting. Uh, yeah, yeah. You can't steal the moon. We'll have a link for that at the bottom if you want to hear a, a cute little Taoist story that sort of is on the same theme. Yeah, and you, you hear stories like this from time to time. Yeah, that that kind of theme, and I, I thought it was a really nice twist, really nice take on that kind of idea. Mm-hmm. There's a fight between Taku Komoko and Matsu Agatoke, not a a verbal sparring match. So just thought I'd touch base and remind people who who these people are. We've seen Ataku Komoko a few times in stories such as A Bloody Harvest. She is a passionate battle maiden whose mother was killed and has a certain vengeance streak towards the lion. Um, Matsu Agatoki is the commander of the lion cavalry forces and... In old lore, he is the lion who killed Itaku Komoko's mother. Here, it doesn't specify exactly what he did, but he is the one who pillaged her home. So it is likely that he might be related to that. He is pictured here laughing, which I love because on his card art, he's he's always laughing. I thought it was also interesting that the person who broke them up was Doji Kuanan. Because I think, I think that's a, a bit of a... Uh, a sign that he has learned something from what from recent events. That's kind of how I took it. That and his um, his background is as a battlefield commander, so that's that's what he's been trained to do too. So he's like knows knows this arena pretty well. Yeah, so I, I, I like that touch as well. So we got all all that kind of coming back. The Miwako Kabe are mentioned a lot in this. They are the four enchanted walls that surround the city of Otosanuchi. And we we had a podcast on Otosanuchi, so we, we've talked about this before. 
So these walls aren't just walls. They are each of them built during the Great War with Fuleng that ends on the Day of Thunder, and they all have defences that are unique. The East Wall, or Glory, uh, stories say it summons the spirits of fallen ancestors to enforce it and it f- and fight with the lion that guards the gates. The South Wall has something to do with being trapped in mirrors, but no one knows what it does. Very mysterious. The West Wall ended up being the permanent tomb of a Shadowlands army that the Cooney chapped within. And the North Wall is mostly hollow, but is riddled with traps, dead ends, and murder galleries, much like the Caillou Wall. It is also enchanted, but again, we don't quite know how. In this story, the army approaching Otsanuchi, they don't seem to know the exact precise nature of the wall, only that a calamity will fall any who try to besiege the city. So they are a bit cautious because of this. And understandably so, as it turns out. Right. <laughs> Let's see. So Chancellor Kikidiyoshi is still alive. Uh, we were left with some doubt about that at the end. Yeah. The Crane and Phoenix navies are cutting supply lines to the city with the tortoise patrolling for any smugglers, basically. Just for reminder, uh, the tortoise clan is spelled out in the GM screen adventure for 5th edition, but it is an imperially commissioned minor clan whose duty is, at least theoretically, to monitor the ports and dockyards and lighthouses of Odosanuchi. But unofficially... It is to act as a bunch of smugglers and informants that report directly to the emperor. Yep. That's generally not known. But yeah, so in this case, so all of these navies and all these these people are working together to blockade Otsanuchi. Mm -hmm. It's a nice thing. Uh, A few faces that otherwise might have been forgotten show up. We have Shiba Katsuda, who's the governor of Nikisake, and the father of Doji Itsuyo, who we saw in Truth and Lies. Isawa yes, Ujo. The, yeah. Sorry. No. So Doji Itsuyo is the uh, person in charge of Kyotai Castle at the end of that particular adventure, mm. depending on how that plays out. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the, in the canon, she's the one in charge, and then mm. he, this is her father. Isawa Rujo is the former Master of Earth. He was made a ronin by Isawa Tadaka when he was defeated by Tadaka, his student, uh, who challenged him in order to be allowed to study with the Kuni, which is how he ended up way down south with Kuni Yori and uh, shenanigans in the Shadowlands. So he has turned (laughs) up here. And we also have Miramoto Raitsugu, who's Hitomi's second-in-command in the Army of the Rising Wave. And that's the person that Shoju told that Shoju was on the side of the Shadowlands. So that's that's the person that Shoju used to disseminate. Because that's part of his master plan, is to get everyone united against him and united against the Shadowlands. And Miramoto Raitsugu is the one he told. All of Ujiaki's forces, he brings them outside the wall to fight this besieging army. Thus... Yep. Not necessarily using the walls. This is a a bright move for a commander. This is very likely one of the things manipulated by Shoju. Because we have to remember that Shoju kind of wants to lose. He doesn't want to kill the armies of of Rokugan. He wants to keep them strong so they can be turned against Shadowlands. 
telling Ujiaki, you know, go forth and make a glorious charge and crush the enemy beneath you using this secret power uh, <laughs> solves his problem, basically. I think it's extremely likely. Uh, I, otherwise, what he's doing does not make a whole heap of sense. Um, there was also a, there's actually a line like, you know, Ujiaki, Ujiaki almost seems to beg for defeat. With our, you know, mm-hmm. with our forces combined, we outnumber the Imperial Army ten to one. Yet, Bushi Yojido scouts report he ordered all forces outside the enchanted wall, and that sounds exactly like, yeah, he's he's being manipulated to doing something dumb because, like you say, Shoji does not actually want to win. That's not his plan. Uh, we also have a brief mention of Shono, son of Altan Sanai. And it appears he's either still in the Burning Sands or still on his way back. He's certainly not here right now. So she's looking forward to him coming back. So he hasn't done that yet. So not entirely sure exactly where he is, but not here. So we had wondered for a while, is he back and leading troops? And we just haven't heard from him. But here's like the confirmation. No, he's still in the Burning Sands. That's fine. Right before the battle begins, we have a crow, a crow clawing and flying over the field. So crows traditionally are a symbol of war because they like descend afterwards to be on the carnage. But in L5R specifically, the crow is a symbol of Shinsei. You know, that is kind of a, a hint that greater forces are at move here too, just a... Just yeah. a little reminder. Just a little reminder. Uh, Ujiaki is using a metal fan, which I suspect is the butterfly-shaped war fan that is used to direct troops in battle. And this seems to be the thing that controls the force of Shadowlands that comes out of the wall, which presumably is the force that had been trapped within the west wall of the Mimakukabe. They do say that it is coming from the west wall. So Yeah, that's true. So that's in, that's and and as soon as the fan is picked up by Altan Sinai, it's all gone. So it must should just be that. There's a couple of mentions of the sun glinting off it, which is what is guiding Altan Sinai to him and to it, mm-hmm. which sounds like a bit like some supernatural help is being given. It's kind of important. It is interesting that at least one three-eyed oni shows up, which could well be a spawn of Akumano Oni, which is um, interesting, given what's going on down south. So whether whether that's specifically related to that or just there happened to be one of those in the west wall of the Miwakakabe, who knows? It could mean that the Miwakakabe forces ended up being stronger than expected or something or more because of this. So Doji Kuanan steps in to save Matsusuko from a very large oni. This oni doesn't have a name, but it is about 18 feet tall from the description. It has kind of a horse's head and mane and hooves. It is kind of horse-like oni. Matsusuko is getting trumped by it, and he Doji Kuanan steps in to fight it. And it's all being seen through Alton Sanai's eyes. And, and she says how he fights like a lion here. 
in Old Lord Spelled Out, and it seems if you look at his style and how he how he does things, it's it seems to be true in New Year, New Lord too, though they haven't spelled it out. That he went to the Okoto War College. He is trained as a lion uh, in his background, and that shapes a lot of how he uh, behaves. And his view of honor is slightly different than Hataru's, and and uh, how he fights differently. You know things like that. So that's that's kind of um, the final hint here that uh, he he went to the Okoto War College. Asuko uh, spared his life in the story Fires of Justice, which was a story decision way back in the beginning of the game. So yeah, yeah, still having ramifications, right? <laughs> uh, An uh, important part of the the battle, the spirit of Akodo Araso who is the former Lion Clan champion, appears. And this is, it is he has been summoned by Kitsuchiemi, who is a commander in the Lion Army. And this is a world's story prize for 2018, which is, which I believe, the final one of, that, of 2018, where a Kitsu would command Lion troops in Otosanuchi. Yep. So we had always figured that... Uh, Akitsu would be made the captain of the Imperial Guard in the city of Odesanushi in the Imperial Army Forces. But it was not. It, this does fulfill the story prize. Uh, Akitsu would command lion troops in the city of Odesanushi attacking Odesanushi. <laughs> <laughs> we just didn't quite have that part, but it, it still works um, as a story prize. And yeah, all the other story prizes I think have been given out. This was the last one, however slightly. <laughs> well, I mean, do we actually know which side Chiemi was on at... Well, she summoned Arasu. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, and, it... and she is... She's, Arasu starts ordering the... Before Ujiaki is defeated, mm. Arasu has already been summoned and is ordering people to fight Shadowlands. So yeah. uh, she, she she's not under Ujiaki. Well, I'm not sure because, in fact, no, she is a member of the Imperial Legions. I'm literally looking at it right now. Oh, okay. uh, the general pointed to a slender young woman bedecked, bedecked in the arm of the Imperial Legions. When Commander Kitsuchiemi called the spirit of Akoda Arasol, he spoke the truth to me and my armies. I did not know the depths which Boyoshi Shuji would go to deceive me and the Imperial forces. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, was in fact an Imperial um, Imperial Legion commander. There you go. I, I guess I, she got confused and decided to uh, summon Arasu, and Arasu had his own opinions on who should oh, be a, entirely a possibly. Head. Entirely possibly. It was like, I need to know exactly what's happening here. I know who'll know. That's a code error, so you tell me what to do. Oh, oh, I've been fighting the wrong side this whole time. Oops. <laughs> I like it. That's really, that is really interesting. At the end of all this, there are only two days to get from here to the big day, which is um, Togashi 14th, which is where all the events of the Battle of Cherry Blossom Snow are occurring, at least full of part. Parts three and four are all happening that day. So uh, we've got two days to get from this. Yep. And and two people have to travel the whole distance. And, uh, well, there's a certain amount of um, 
shenanigans involved in getting them there. So I do hope we get to see how that happens. We shall see. I'm sure there's at least one more part of this story. Yeah, yes, there is a Heroes of Legend Chapter 5, which is going to be released on April 23rd. Does this work as a story prize for the lion and certain kids to chimney? I think it I think it works, though. They've been waiting for a long time of it. Mm. I think it works better than some of the other ones, though the the, the prizes have been very small for, for some of those. So Chimmy's contribution is very significant, if nothing else. May not have a like a, a lot of text given to her activities, but Summoning Arasaur has a large impact on the battle mm-hmm. and looks like it's going to have an impact on the Battle of Cherry Blossom Snow as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that, I mean, neither of us are particularly lion people, so maybe we're not the best to ask. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I hope that they, they, the lion players think it's okay. Yeah, yeah, I think so. My question, I have to say, is where is Miramoto Hitomi during the battle? Because they meet up with her during right, on the march down before they pull the the big battle and they before they they decide to besiege the capital. And so she meets them there and you know brings them up to date with what news she's got. But on the battle, it's her second in command. Miramoto Raitsugu, who's there, and she's not there at all. And that's kind of interesting. I do wonder if she's off doing something else. I don't know. Um, it could be, since this is all point of view of um, Alton Sarnai, it could be that she is off, uh, you know, assaulting at another place on the battlefield. Uh, not everybody has to be in a sight line when you're talking about this particular you know, kind of battle. But she could be doing something else. Hitomi is off and off doing something else. The fifth part of Heroes of Legend isn't necessarily going to be, and the next day. It could be, while the battle was going on, here's what Shoji was up to. I'm pretty sure it will be that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I thought that was interesting. I thought there was a thing I noted, and we'll, we'll see if anything pans out with that. In, in if it is from Shoju's point of view, and it, especially if it's Shoju's point of view and back in time a little bit, at least starting back in time a little bit, we can find out really how how dumb Ujiaki yeah. is. Ujiaki Which is the next is. question. But uh, yeah, he 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 kind of he he played it not so bright to the last, unfortunately. No. You know, between taking his forces outside the wall and like this last stab, let's let's stab the unicorn champion who just cut off my arm. Yeah. And and not try and redeem my honor or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of knew that he was never gonna live through what he had done. Nope. No no more than Shoju expects to be able to. Well, I think the difference is that's not not surviving, I believe, is Shoji's plan. I don't think that was Ujiaki's plan. Ujiaki, I think, was still, I'm going to be glorious and everyone's going to know at last how awesome I am. Like, oh, oh, that's not, that's not what's going to happen at all, mate. 
I did not. I did not like necessarily. I mean, Uchiaki had lots of flaws. Right, let's let's just face that. It's it's fine. He's got lots of flaws. Um, he was painted a little bit as a, a coward here at the end. Yes, and I don't think that that was appropriate characterization. Just. He he can have all these other flaws and not necessarily have to be a coward, too. None of his actions before this and showed cowardice. Not so brightness, you know, maybe, but but not cowardice. And so yeah, that yeah, was yeah. like, does he, does he think that he's being, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking there. So that's that's okay. Because he he was suddenly very much the, it's not my fault. Nothing's my fault. It's all shouju. Uh, he tricked me, which is actually true. Um, he, uh, you know, controlled my mind, which, as far as I'm aware, is not actually true. Yeah. And honestly, if either of those things are true, if, if those things were true, then what you are supposed to do as a, you know, a believer in honor and a believer of you know as a lion it should be i now offer my seppuku for my failings and you know as the the leader of a defeated army that is also a particularly reasonable thing to do to try and stab someone who has literally just said i'm giving you the honorable way out is uh yeah that's not good at all but (sighs) but that's how it went. Yeah. And okay, so yes, I, I am I am wearing my, my white morning robes. Um I am really, really heartbroken to see Kwanan die. Okay. Kwanan has been an interesting character. He has been a focal character for a lot of fictions in this whole FFG timeline. He's gotten uh, some love and some hate because he has been He's kind of been an antagonist to Hataru. Yeah. Um, he starts the story angry. Uh, he starts the story. We first meet him, and he's very um, polite and controlled. He's been captured by the lion, and uh, Matsusuko lets him go because she is going to let him investigate his father's death. He believes yeah. his father was murdered. And He's gonna let. She's gonna let him go so he can investigate his father's his father's death. So he goes. He confronts Sataru, who has not been in his mind investigating his Taru's death. But those stories are written from Hataru's point of view. He comes off as fighting the good guy a little bit. He doesn't come off bad, just ignorant, maybe overly rigid in his honor. But he's also a, a kid. He's he's young. Atara is like twenty two, and he's like nineteen or something. He's not that far past his Gempuku. And his father was murdered. It wasn't an accident. Yep. So it's not like he's he's wrong. You know he he knows something's wrong, but he's got you know the whole Emerald Office <laughs> against him. Mm. He's got Hataru. Not if not necessarily against him, not really wanting to know. Um, so he's he's put into a position where when he finds this document saying that Hataru is willing to toss it all to the scorpion out of her love for Kachiko and, and basically hand Kachiko the crane and, and that gets verified 
by Yoshi, uh, as far as he can tell, you know, he decides he's got to do something about it and goes to confront her. He doesn't get people killed in the process. He yeah. tries to, he, he does screw up by trying to rescue uh, Soturi, Hante Soturi. But here is the regent in charge, at least to the all of Rokugan, in charge of Shadowlands armies. It's not like that wasn't the right thing to do with the information he had. Does yeah, that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Um, and it doesn't work because Hitomi stops him with an unexpected force, but it was, you know, until then, you know, Tagashi prophecies of protecting the heirs getting involved, uh, it would have worked. And then he he goes and he, he manages to retake the part of Kikita Castle. He was going to the extremely risky take there that was going to decide for him whether he was going to confront Hataru or not. He keeps he keeps second guessing, keeps thinking I could be wrong, and, but things are stacking up to um, make it seem like he's not. And even then he goes to confront Hataru and everyone's like he's going to take crane armies and they're going to fight each other. They never did. It was a duel. It was, it was handled the way crane would handle things like that, which is with an Iijutsu duel. In the end, he wins, and then he surrenders to Ataru. Yeah. So this is he. He's gotten a lot of how dumb is he kind of thing. He's he's not dumb. He's just not got all the information that he he needs, and he 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 shines at the end with showing once he has the information, he changes, and that is very characteristic of. Uh, Kuanid. So in Old 5R, you have to understand, in Old 5R, during Clan Wars, during this, you know, post-Scorpion Clan coup to Day of Thunder thing, Doji Hattori, the champion of the crane, was not in the story. He was not leading the crane. He had been captured by Kachiko and made prisoner while a false version of uh, of him that Kachioko had created uh, was out leading Shadowlands armies and fighting the crane. So who was leading the crane through all of that stuff? It was Doji Kuanan. The younger son, the one who wasn't supposed to be the champion, but now has to step up and try and fill his perfect big brother's shoes because his perfect big brother is now attacking his clan at the head of a Shadowlands and Scorpion horde. And he does it. He gets wounded. The real Hattori shows up and and tells him, you're wrong. And Kuwanin says, you know, is, is passionate and angry. But in the end, it's like, yes, I was wrong. And he gives it back up to Hattori. Mm. Then he goes on and Hattori dies in the Day of Thunder. And Kuwanin goes on and he leads the crane all the way through the Shadow Wars that follow a really, really long time. He was the longest person in charge of the crane. And over and over again, it happens like he gets pushed into a position where he's wrong due to intentional deception by other people. Like the Shadow created a conflict between him and Uji and a crane civil war between those two forces. And with the information, he says that he's given at the end, when he finds out the truth, it's like, 
I'm wrong. And he lets Hitsuji live. And I think, I find that admirable. And, and Kwanin has always been one of my very favorite characters because it's, especially in a world like Rokugan, yeah. being able to say, I was to screw up and then say I was wrong mm-hmm. from a position of power. Yeah. You know, Kwanin was winning that duel. Kwanin was winning the fight against Uji, all of this. Um, is I I find very admirable. It's harder to put. It's hard to put aside your pride. Yeah, especially you know this lion background and all of this other stuff. It's hard to put aside his pride. So I think how he played out in this story was very much in character with him. But I am very sad because he's very much one of my favorite characters, and um, he's. I think he's like the first who's really gotten a huge amount of story time so far, especially good guy story time mm-hmm. that has um that has died. Yeah. Like he's a main POV character and he he's died. I think it's difficult for people who mostly know him just from the FFG fictions necessarily as I do because I I didn't follow most of the the storyline in from from the card game from uh, the olden times, so I mostly know him from the FFG fictions. I think it might be quite difficult for people who only know him from that to really understand how important he was in the beginning and for longtime fans and longtime Crane fans, just how significant that character is. And I I can understand why some people don't like how this played out. I mean, I felt it worked, but I realize other people might not think that. Overall, it can work. That the story wasn't from, like, Hataru's point of view or somebody who Kawada meant that much to. And that he basically went down being trampled. And we don't even know if he succeeded in killing the Oni that he was trying to take out. Right. Those those were kind of like not so nice parts of it. Those were those made it harder. So some people did come on and, and got quite upset about it. Not just because of losing Kwana, but because of how it was done. Does that make sense? Because he could have that yeah. was a, that was a that wasn't a long standing oni. It was just an oni pops up in the middle of the battlefield, threatens Masusuko, and she gets away, and he hits it, and then it tramples him, and then there's nothing of him left. Yeah, that's very tragic, but it's also one very very small scene in a much bigger story. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Maybe smaller and especially how it was done less significant than this scale of character maybe mm. deserves. That said, I think the author did try and make lots of little scenes in there of Kawanam being cool mm. through the story. So we knew that it was, he was going to be – but he's not a focus. So he's just like, oh, he's breaking up this fight and here he's saving us and Sarnai and, and stuff. But they're all in these like little flashes and it doesn't uh, – because it's all from Alton Sarnai's point of view who doesn't really have a relationship with him at all. Uh, so it's like yeah, trying to put it in and maybe it would have hit more if it was a different POV character 
too Elton Sane on this, but Mr. Harris is the unicorn guy. He does the unicorn stories for New 5R. So, uh, of course, he would do it from Elton Sane's point of view. And I kind of like the maternal thing that was going on with her, thinking about her children uh, on the battlefield. I, I, I like that overall. It was just here for Kwanan's story. It just kind of is off. They could make it up, all right? They could have another part of the story come out. And it probably won't be, unfortunately, the shoju part of the story that we're talking about. But if they have a future fiction that was more from, like, Hataru's point of view or Suko's point of view, who actually, like, acknowledged the arc of this character and, like, cared about his death. Does that make sense? Not If he doesn't just disappear right now and he's gone for good. Yeah. They could make up for it. I, if they don't do that, I will be pretty disappointed, I, I I admit. Yeah. We shall see. We shall. We shall. We shall. But uh, everybody, if you get Fields of Victory this week, please send us a note or, or in the court game spot. Let us know what you think and tell us your thoughts or things that we might want to include in a review. And we will include it in our review as soon as we can. Looking forward to that. Definitely. Right. So I'd like to give a shout out to our sister podcast and Patreons while we're kind of wrapping up here. And so we have the Legend of the Five Rings LCG podcast. We have our live from Tokyo podcast called Tokyo the Five Rings. And we also have our two actual play role playing Crimson Gold Agonies and Fortunes and Strife. And obviously we have to mention our friends at D20 Radio who have a plethora of role playing game content. There is a podcast for every want or need you could possibly have so go go check them out immediately our podcast is funded by the community discord patreon which supports our editing costs as well as our website where you can see and store longer term information summaries of our podcasts there's great rpg tools discussion and more for our patreons we do have occasional special bonus content like adventure seeds challenge focus strikes early access to our ap podcasts and other things as we think of them Thank you very much to our newest patrons who have been supporting us, supporting our various other kinds of podcasts and supporting our the website. And, of course, supporting the Discord where we are all hanging out. There is Carol Falkerson. Thank you very much, Carol. Uh, Connor Lennon. Thank you. And Robert Lally. Thank you very much for supporting us. You can find us online at our website, courtgamespod.com. On Twitter, we are twitter.com slash courtgamespod. And we are on Patreon at patreon.com slash courtgames. But that's it for us this week. This is Kikita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I have been Korva. And until we meet again, keep your jade handy.
www.d20radio.com